Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your Word, your living and active Word. And we pray, Jesus, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give us ears to hear your voice, that you'd give us eyes to see what you have for us, that you would continue your transforming work in our lives through your Word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We, uh, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to continue that, so if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to pick things up in verse 13 in a few minutes. I want to begin by sharing a story. I'm going to tell you about uh, a most useful thing that uh, probably all of you have used. I've used it in many contexts, but I'm going to tell you a story first that uh, illustrates one of the very useful uh, ways that that has served us. Years ago, when our kids were young, in fact, I'm not even sure if our third son was born yet, we were in Abbotsford visiting my mother-in-law, we, uh, well, family, not just her, we were staying at her place, she used to live in a townhouse, and the basement was uh, ideal for us, there was a guest room uh, where Christine and I could be, and a washroom, and then in the rec room was where the kids would be, there was a, a pull-out bed and some foamies, so there was always room for them. And uh, again, I'm not sure if Brendan was around. If he was, he would have been really young. Nathaniel was just over two, still, still in diapers. And I remember one morning uh, laying in bed, and you've had that morning, parents, probably, where you wake up and there's a child right next to you looking at you. Nathaniel was standing next to me, holding his diaper in front of him, and he said, Daddy, look, it's clean. And sure enough, his diaper was clean. It was, it was empty, but something smelled off. And so in that fog of sleep, I, I opened my eyes and I looked, and there were little footprints of something leading out the door. And I jumped out of bed, awake immediately, and I looked out the door, and sure enough, they got thicker as they went to the hide-a-bed. And there on the mattress, he had, he had made a little deposit and, and evidently stepped in it on his way to show me his clean diaper. He became a little bit of an escape artist when it came to removing his diaper, which did not allow it to do what it was intended to do. And so we had to make use of, of something most useful, and that is duct tape. <laughs> there was a season where we had to duct tape his diapers on to keep them on him, or else they would disappear, which was a problem. And so duct tape in that instance was most useful. It was very helpful. We didn't, we didn't have that exact experience again for which we were very grateful. And uh, if you are like me, you probably found duct tape most useful in lots of contexts. I've used it in many ways. I'm sure we could tell many stories. This morning, we are looking at a text in the Sermon on the Mount where, in which Jesus makes an astounding claim. Jesus is going to say that Christians, that disciples, his disciples, those who have heard and believed the good news are most useful. That those who follow him have this incredibly vital, important role in this world to play. We're continuing our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We have walked through over the last two and a half months or so, the Beatitudes with which Jesus introduces his sermon. The Beatitudes uh, is Jesus showing us, explaining to us, describing for us Christian character. Uh, it is not so much prescriptive, here's what you need to do, but descriptive. This is who you are when the gospel takes root in your heart. You 
And Jesus in those eight Beatitudes is not describing eight different kinds of people. He is describing eight inseparable uh, interrelated qualities that are true of everyone. God produces those in us by the gospel. We, are, we begin as those who are poor in spirit, those who come to God recognizing our utter spiritual bankruptcy, that we come needing his grace and mercy, that we have nothing to offer, and ours is the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, we are those who mourn. We see the darkness of our own hearts, our sin, our rebellion, and the sin and rebellion of the world, and we weep, we mourn, we have tear-stained faces, and we are those who are meek. As those redeemed by Christ, we realize that we do not need to, to push our way to the front of the line. We don't need to defend ourselves. We can live gently in putting the interests of others ahead of ourselves. We are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're not righteous yet, but we long, deeply long for all things to be the way they're supposed to be. We become the merciful. Having experienced the mercy of God, we can't help but show mercy. We are the pure in heart. That is not speaking of moral purity, but purity of heart is a willing one thing. That is, we grow to be men and women, young and old, who desire one thing, and that is Jesus. We become peacemakers. Those who run into the midst of the chaos and the conflict of our world, seeking to proclaim Christ, the Prince of Peace, and bring about peace. And the last beatitude we looked at last week was that we become the persecuted, that as we live for Christ and his inbreaking kingdom, the kingdoms of this world will push back and we will find ourselves in the crunch as we live for Jesus. Those qualities shape every believer. They are produced in us by the gospel. We grow in them. They are not natural human qualities. Jesus didn't show up looking for beatitude people. Jesus came proclaiming the good news. He proclaimed the good news that in his coming, God's reign was breaking in. That in his coming, there was grace and forgiveness and new life. And when the good news is heard and believed, it takes root in our our hearts and our lives are transformed. These qualities are produced in us. Thus, I have contended as I said, that the, the Beatitudes are descriptive. They show us a picture of what our lives look like as the gospel grows and manifests itself in us, when the Spirit of God is having his way in us. This morning we turn from the Beatitudes and we're entering into the sermon proper, uh, beginning with verses 13 to 16. Uh, we move here from the Beatitudes into Jesus' message. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read this first part the message. Jesus says these things. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to do six things with you in the time that we have remaining together. First, I want to think with you about who it is that Jesus speaks these words to. Secondly, I want to explain why this claim of Jesus is really so astounding. Third, I want to look at what Jesus is not saying. It's important for us to grasp that. Fourth, I want to highlight what Jesus is implicitly saying about the world. 
uh, that we live in. Fifth, I want to unpack what Jesus is saying about our function, our purpose, our identity as disciples of Jesus in this world. And then lastly, I want to think with you about what that means for our lives. So first, let's think about who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus uh, goes up on a hill and his disciples gather around him and crowds come and Jesus began to teach. So Jesus is surrounded by uh, a huge number of people uh, who have come from all over Galilee and Judea, from, uh, from the area of the Decapolis. That is, there's, there's non-Jews there, uh, Gentiles, people from across the Jordan. There's this huge crowd, and there's his disciples. We, we know uh, some of his disciples, at least four of them, are ex-fishermen. They're blue-collar workers. They, they have uh, fished, and, and of those, there's Peter, who always sticks his, his foot in his mouth. He, his, his mouth engages often before his brain. We know that. He's a little bit impetuous. And then there's James and John, who have the nickname Sons of Thunder, right? They're, they're just a little bit explosive. Remember, they go to a, a town in Samaria with Jesus, and, and the, the Samaritans don't welcome Jesus, and they go, Jesus, should we call them fire from heaven? Just burn them up? Like, they, they just a little bit explosive. Uh, so there's these f- blue-collar fishermen, there's a number of disciples that we don't know much about, but, but there's Matthew, the tax collector, right? He, he had been working for Rome, collecting money, ripping off his fellow Jews. And not only that, then there's the former the, the t- terrorist, the Simon the Zealot. I mean, he was a nationalist. He's anti-Rome. How did those two get along? This is kind of a, a motley crew of men that followed Jesus. And, and so Jesus says these things to them, and this this nondescript crowd. And what I want us to recognize is that Jesus is speaking not to the religious elite. He's speaking to ordinary men and women, ordinary people who don't have it all together. He speaks these words to. Jesus speaks these words to them. He's spoken these words to people throughout the centuries, and he's speaking these things to you and I this morning. I already noted in my introduction that Jesus makes an astounding claim. He says some astounding things in this passage. You see, the Romans had an expression. It was that there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. And as we move forward, you'll understand more why. But nothing more useful than sun and salt. That was kind of something that people said. It was a reality that they all kind of recognized. And it's into that context that Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, to those who are following him. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is saying there is nothing more useful to the world than you. People who have heard and believed the gospel. People in whom the good news has taken root. People in whom the spirit of God is having his way. There's no one more useful than the church in this world. See, every home in the ancient world would have used both salt and light. No matter how poor, these were indispensable household commodities. We can miss this. We, we can fail to grasp it. Think with me first about salt. In the ancient world, salt was used as a condiment to help with taste a little bit, but primarily it was used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration. And so salt would be taken and it would be rubbed into meat. It would be rubbed into fish to preserve it. And if it didn't if they didn't do that, that, that meat, that fish would decay. It would rot. Salt was used to preserve. The implication is that the world left to itself without salt will rot. It will decay. It will putrefy. 
We have refrigeration, so we often don't think about that. But can you remember a time where maybe the power went out or, or your fridge or your freezer stopped working? What, what do you immediately go, shoot, everything's going to go bad, right? Like without that. A number of months ago, I defrosted our freezer and uh, got rid of all the ice, kind of doubled the capacity. Every once in a while, I have to do that. And, and I had turned it off. And I had emptied it and dried it, got all the ice out and loaded it up, including I had just bought a bunch of ice cream bars. This was in the summer. Put them in there, closed the door, went away. The next day, Christine called me at work and said, Dennis, the freezer doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, I didn't turn it back on. Right? Like, when, when refrigeration fails us or we fail to turn things on, we, things go bad. Those ice cream bars weren't bars anymore. We have refrigeration, but they didn't. They used salt to preserve things. Second, think, think with me about light. We take light so for granted. We have electricity. We have electric lights. We flip a switch, and, and it's light. We have street lighting. We, we have light pollution. I mean, how far do you have to go before on a nighttime you, you look around and there's no light? I mean, you got to go a long ways. Light just radiates off the clouds. There's, there's light everywhere, but... Have you ever experienced real darkness? I remember uh, a number of weeks ago, months ago maybe it was, driving through Mill Woods and there was a power outage in part of the city. And, and it, was, it was weird. I looked around. Every house was dark. The street lights were dark. The, the traffic lights were dark. I just realized I'm driving through an intersection. Like, I hadn't even noticed. There was no flashing. It was just dark. And in the darkness, we, we can trip on things. The, the things like it, it can be a little bit dangerous. In fact, I, I know my home pretty well, and I don't always flip those switches when I walk around. And uh, I, I happened on more than one occasion, walking into my bedroom to grab something, glasses or a book from my nightstand, and it's pretty simple. Just in the door, turn left, and it's there. I know it. I don't need the light, I think. But every once in a while, I have, I have walked in there, and unbeknownst to me, Christine has left a basket of clean laundry at the foot of the bed. And I tell you, I've, I've almost ended up in the hospital going over that. Light is important. Without light, we stumble, we fall. Without light, we find ourselves in darkness and in danger. The implication here is that the world left to itself is in darkness. And into that, Jesus says to the gospelized, those who are being gospelized, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Jesus is saying that ordinary people, people like you and me, in whom the gospel has taken root, are as necessary in this world as salt and light. That, that people who are gospelized, who are being transformed by the good news, are useful, are essential. That the world needs us. That the world cannot get by without the people of God without Christians, without the church, without believers, the world will experience more and more decay. Without the church, without Christians, the world will plunge deeper and deeper into darkness. And in using these metaphors, Jesus is real, revealing his perspective on what is happening on planet Earth. He is saying something about the world, and he's saying something about his followers. Now, before we look further at that, I want us to speak to what Jesus is not saying. It's interesting to recognize that Jesus here does not say 
you should consider being the salt of the earth. You should think about being the light of the world. He doesn't say that. Jesus likewise does not say, you must be the salt of the earth. You must be the light of the world. He doesn't say that either. Nor does he say, you have the salt of the earth. You you have the light of the world. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The emphasis is on you. Jesus is asserting a reality. He is asserting a fact about our identity. By definition, those in whom the gospel has taken root are salt and light in a world that is facing decay and darkness. That's the condition of the world. The world left to itself. The world here doesn't mean planet Earth. The world, I said this I think last week, the world here means humanity in rebellion against God. Humanity organizing itself without God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That is, God so loved... Humanity in its rebellion that he sent his son. This is, this is humanity in opposition, in rebellion against God. And so the basic truth behind these two metaphors is, that is common to both of them is that the church and the world are distinct communities. On the one hand, there is the earth, there is the world. On the other hand, there is the earth's salt, believers, disciples, the church. On the one hand, there is the world. On the other hand, there is You, the the church, believers, the light of the world. The two are related, but they are related because of their distinctiveness. The world is a place that left to itself is in a constant state of deterioration and decay. The, The world is a place left to itself that is characterized by utter deep darkness, a deepening darkness. We can look around our world for answers. Our world has sought to. Many people over the centuries I've thought, oh, if we, we gain more, more knowledge, and you think his scientific knowledge grew, and medical knowledge, and, and God was pushed to the side. We, you know, religion was, well, that, that's just fairy tales, and we don't need that, that knowledge will be our way forward, that we are advancing as humanity, this sense of progress. Today, many of you were to ask, what's the solution to the problems of this world? People would say, oh, it's, it's pol- political. It's, it's the right party in power. It's the right leader in power. This week I had the privilege to meet with a friend and uh, he's involved in education and he shared with me a couple heartbreaking stories about some of the things that he has to deal with and just utterly heartbreaking. And he longs for a solution. He said, that's why I'm left politically. And, and I was able to say, well, I don't, I don't think the solution is left. I don't think it's right. I think the solution is Jesus because the problem is human sin. The problem is human sin and And any solution that we seek apart from the gospel, apart from what God in Christ is doing, will fail. See, the problem is sin and human rebellion against God. The problem is that the kingdoms of this world are aligned against God and in rebellion against God. Left to itself, the world will rot. Left to itself, the world will go deeper into darkness. When we leave God out of the equation, the system cannot stop itself from going bad. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, the world is bad, sinful, evil, and any optimism with regard to it is not only thoroughly unscriptural, but has actually been falsified by history itself. But here's the good news. God has not left the world to itself. God has provided salt 
to be a preserving agent. God has provided light to shine in the darkness. Through the gospel, through gospelized lives, transformed by the good news, God has provided his people, disciples, Christians, the church, to be salt, to be light in this world. And according to Jesus, the salt of the earth, the light of the world are incredibly important, vital, this vital role of of influence for good in the world, something useful, something the world cannot live with, just like it cannot live without salt and light. This might surprise us. We hear this and think, how how can this be? The people described in the Beatitudes, how can they make any kind of impact in this world? People who are are poor in spirit, people who are mourning and meek, full of mercy and peacekeepers, people getting crushed in persecution. How, how can they, especially as a minority in this world, how can they make a difference? John Stott asks the question, are not such people too feeble to achieve anything, especially if they're a small minority in the world? Jesus obviously does not share that skepticism. Though Christians will exhibit, though we as disciples of Jesus will exhibit the characteristics, the qualities delineated in the Beatitudes, and though we will inevitably experience persecution and opposition in this world, we saw that last week in that Beatitude. Yet, as believers, we serve these two vital functions in the world, in this present context, as salt God will use us to arrest decay and deterioration. As light, God will use us to dispel the prevailing and deepening darkness. Just as fishermen rub salt into a fish to preserve them, so God rubs us into the the fabric of society to prevent, to hinder decay. Just as a candle reveals obstacles in the darkness and illumines the path before us, so the Savior of the world places us in different places, different neighborhoods and schools and places of work to shine forth light, to reveal to people the true light. See, the church, the church does not exist for itself. The church does not exist for itself. This gathering is not ultimately about what do I like? Is this a comfortable place for me? We gather each week to confess our sin, to receive again and be reminded of grace, to be built up and transformed and encouraged and empowered to go out into the world, into a rotting place, into a dark place, to be who God has called us to be. We do not exist to gather as a holy huddle. For our own self. John Stott says there's no room for self-centered religiosity. The gospelized, disciples of Jesus, those transformed, being transformed by the good news, are antiseptic to social decay and a lighthouse for seekers. Stott says, God intends us to penetrate the world. Christian salt has no business to remain snugly in elegant little ecclesiastical salt cellars. Our place is to be rubbed into the secular community as salt is rubbed into meat. It's to stop it going bad. Where things are deteriorating, where we look around and go, oh, that's rotten. We might be tempted to ask, what what has gone wrong with the world? But I want to contend this morning that that's the wrong question. When meat goes bad, do you blame the meat? When a room goes dark, do you blame the room? The right question is, where's the church? 
Where are the disciples of Jesus? Where's the salt? Where's the light? In inner cities across North America and I'm sure around the world. Years ago, decades ago, churches fled from the inner city. They went out to the suburbs, to more comfortable places. And so a lot of inner cores are places where there's so much darkness, so much deterioration and decay, so much pain. And that's exactly where the church needs to be. I mean, the suburbs need Jesus too, don't get me wrong. But, but God says that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so when we run away, when we hide, when we huddle up, when we're failing to be who we're called to be, and, and we encounter two conditions in our text, Jesus makes it clear that salt needs to retain its saltiness, that light must not be hidden. As disciples of Jesus, we need to live as those who are distinct from the world. If we're indistinguishable from those around us, if we're more shaped by our culture than by Christ, then we need to repent. We need to repent because we are called to be different, distinct. Not distinct because we're better than, not distinct because we've somehow got our spiritual act together. No, we, we know po- poverty of spirit is where it all begins. We come to God knowing that we, we've got nothing except need. And so we can be beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We need to find our hope in Jesus, not in the things of this world. We need to pour our lives out for Jesus and his kingdom, not for the things of this world. In Jesus, we encounter good news. In Jesus, we receive grace and mercy. In Jesus, we have been apprehended by the love of God, and our lives are being transformed so that we reflect the Beatitudes, so that we reflect what it means to be gospelized. We live with different character and a different end goal and a different mission, a different purpose. If we are living for the comforts and pleasures of this world, if our lives are indistinct from the lives of those around us who don't know Jesus, then brothers and sisters, we need to repent. We need to repent. We need to come to Jesus and and invite him to take the idols out of our lives, the things that we have been pursuing, the things that we have been living for, the things that we have been looking to for satisfaction and joy. We need to ask Jesus to do a deeper gospel transformation in our lives. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to move in us and to have his way to make us distinct, to make us who we are already in Christ, to lead us into the life that is ours in him. The call is to be who you already are. Jesus says that this is who we are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are beatitude people. We are transformed, being transformed by the gospel. So what does all this mean for us? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are not to live out our lives with pessimistic indifference to the world around us, but rather actively, purposefully engaging in the world. Herb Kopp writes, clearly Jesus intended for his followers to make a difference in the world. And D.A. Carson maps out some of the profound ways the church and Christians have impacted the world for good. Prison reform, he writes, medical care, trade unions, control of a perverted and perverting liquor trade, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, establishment of orphanages, reform of penal code. I mean, in all of these areas, the followers of Jesus spearheaded the drive for righteousness. The darkness was alleviated. 
the norms of the kingdom are not to be lived out. We live as the gospelized, not in cloistered community, isolated from the world. No, we, we are to live, live out our faith, not in private ways, but publicly. No such thing as covert discipleship. That's one of the areas of monasticism was they, they left the city, they left people, went off on their own. In fact, Jesus spoke these words on the hills of Galilee, uh, about 100 miles to the south in the wilderness. There was a community of the Essenes. They called themselves the Brothers of Light, and yet they had withdrawn totally. And so there was no opportunity for them to let their light shine. They, they formed a ghetto away from the world. The church today needs, to, needs a bold and holistic vision of what it means for us to live as salt and light in the area of arts and politics and business and entertainment. Young people, as you think about what God is calling you into, as you think about what you will study, what you will pursue vocationally, ask Jesus, show me where you want me to make a difference for your kingdom. Lead me, Jesus, that I might live as salt and light in that place where you're calling me. Years ago, three years ago, I had the privilege, many of you know this, to travel to India just before COVID hit. And it was a rich experience traveling through North India, through some incredibly impoverished areas, the poorest areas of, of India, but the richest experience by far, two experiences I had. I visited and met two couples, two Indian couples, each in different cities, who had been led by God to move into the slum, out of relative affluence, into places of abject poverty. One was a young couple with a young boy. They, they brought him. They, they lived in a slum, and we walked those dirt roads and paths, and we met many of the people that lived there. And these couples each had moved to these places and established schools. They began to provide an education to these children who otherwise would not receive any education at all. And out of that, parents of these children, so blessed that these people would come and would love their kids enough that they would give their lives to teaching their kids, to give their kids hope that they as parents could not afford. And out of those schools, these couples planted churches and began to proclaim Jesus is the reason they were doing this. Jesus is the one in whom they could receive grace. And I'm so, I was so moved to see these couples who had left comforts to live on mission in some of the darkest, most poverty-infested places I've ever seen in my life. What is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? What is Christ calling you to step out into with greater boldness? What steps of obedience do you and I need to take to live out this identity as salt and light. I don't have this all figured out. Christine and I don't have this all figured out. But I want to share one example, one thing that we have been doing for a number of years now. It was interrupted by COVID. But we have sought in our neighborhood to help connect people. We have sought very intentionally to get to know people. And we, we led again this summer. We hosted a block party. We invited 25 homes all the way down our street. And, and on, uh, I think, August 14th, we had... We had about 67 people come out. We shut down the street. We brought barbecues out into the road. We borrowed the nine square from sunrise. And people gathered and connected, and we were able to build relationships, meet some people for the first time, and, and just have a good time of, 
of, of talking and, and connecting and, and laughing together. We had a huge Nerf dart war and, and you know, like other kids from other neighborhoods show up. And it was just a great time of connecting. Now, it wasn't an evangelistic meeting. I didn't gather everyone around and say, hey, I'm going to preach to you now. It was just an opportunity that we sought so that we could get to know people, so that we could love them, so that we could build relationships, so that we could be light in a dark place and enter into that. And, and here's my vision. I want to share this with you. I would love to see sunrisers hosting block parties. Wouldn't it be amazing if this summer there were six or eight or ten block parties? I want to, in a couple of months, remind me if I forget, I want to offer an evening where I just walk you through, here's what we did. Here's the brochure. We, here's what we asked people. Here's, here's how we organized this. These are the things we did. This is a way we can help you as a church. What if we would help one another do this? In, in neighborhoods all over Mill Woods and beyond, there would be block parties where God's people are living as salt and light, loving their neighbors, building relationships, looking for open doors to share the hope of Christ. That's just one idea. God will call us in different ways to different things, but hear this. If you are in Christ, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. E. Stanley Jones writes this, it is the nature of light to shine. It is the nature of salt to permeate. We, we don't do any of this in order to be a disciple of Jesus. We don't do any of this to merit anything from Christ. We do this, we get to do this because we are those who have heard and believed the good news. It's through the cross of Christ that we are who we are. Jesus says to you, and he says to me, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus says to you and me, you have a vital role to play in this world. You are most useful in a world that is decaying and full of darkness. You have an incredibly important role to play in the place that I have planted you. In your school, in your neighborhood, in your place of business, where you buy your groceries. In your city. Jesus says to you and to me, the gospel that you've heard and believed, the gospel that is transforming you, is making you into something most useful in a dark and decaying world. Be who you are. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask our sound people to play a song. Those of you who are with us online, uh, we're going to mute you because otherwise Facebook will shut down our stream because of copyright stuff. So it'll be quiet for you, but here there's going to be some music playing. And I want to give each one of you the opportunity. And again, I don't want you to feel pressure, but I want to invite you, if you have sensed the Spirit of God moving in your heart today, maybe there's something, some step of obedience that you know Jesus wants you to take. Maybe it's just a sense of, hey, Lord, I, I want to commit myself to this. I want to grow in this. I want, to, I want to learn what it means for me to engage as salt and light. And I want to invite you to come forward as that music is played and Take a candle from the basket, light it on the Christ candle and stick it in the sand just as a, a physical symbol of Jesus, I don't want to let my light shine. And, and I want to speak to those of you who may be here and, and maybe you're not a believer of Jesus yet. Maybe you've never surrendered to him. And I, I just want to invite you this morning. That can change even right now. Jesus loves you. Jesus gave himself for you. He went to the cross and paid the penalty for all our sin. And every one of us, none of us have it all together. We all come to God broken and empty-handed. And we receive his grace through faith. And Jesus can forgive you today. You just simply need to surrender to him and say, Jesus, I need you. 
And Jesus will forgive you, and he will clothe you with his perfection. You will be adopted as his son, as his daughter, and that can happen today. And if that's you today, and you go, I want to be a part of, of engaging in this world for Jesus. I, I want Jesus. I know I need Jesus. If you, you haven't done that, you can come forward and take a candle as a symbol of your commitment to him. And light it on the Christ candle and stick it in the sand. And I'd love to hear about that if that's you this morning. But in a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and then the music will play. And I just invite you, if you feel led, Come as a symbol of your commitment. Jesus, I want to be faithful. I want to take a step of, of what it means to be faithfully engaged as salt and light. And I invite you to come and, and do that this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for new life. And Lord, we thank you for this call, this identity that you have gifted us with, that you've called us to something of such great usefulness, such great importance in this world. Lord, would you, would you guard us from being pessimistic as we look around the world? Would you guard us from, from running away and, 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 and stepping back? Lord, give us boldness and courage to be who you've made us. You have made us to be salt and light. So fill us with your spirit, fill us with courage. Guide us, Holy Spirit, that we might follow you and whatever that will look like in each of our lives individually and corporately as a church. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.